Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about why you should practice the 12 steps. Mm, the 12 steps famous, made famous by Alcoholics Anonymous, right? That is correct. And we're going we're gonna to walk through the 12 steps and tell you why and, expand, and understand each step and the power of the steps. And I believe you're going to end up saying... I'm going to do that. Yeah. That it's not, hey, it's not just for for uh, addicts after all. It's not or, just for drunks after all. <laughs> or we're all drunks in our own way. That's right. That that are. Or the we'll, other. well, we'll talk about that with step one because that that is the beginning. Awesome. Before that, it is joke or story time and you are up this week. Yes. And we've had people request when you guys going to tell a joke again. So I'm going to tell a story well, tell, that has a joke in it. <laughs> tell the truth. Shame the devil. I've had people request not that we tell jokes. They've said, "Why do you keep introducing it as joke story, or story or joke time. time?" Yeah, so I would because we have had jokes a couple times. We have. I'm just saying. And, I, by I, the way, welcome to episode 100. Yeah, I forgot episode 100. And in 100 episodes, 99 episodes, this is 100. Out of 99 episodes, we've told jokes twice. I think. Yeah, and we had a guest tell a joke. So um, three jokes out of 99 episodes. Something like that. But anyway, I just wanted to say. But today with episode 100. The people aren't crowding at the door saying, tell us more jokes. That's, <laughs> you know. Perhaps they are. Okay. This is a, a story with a joke I'm going to tell a story, but it actually has a joke in it. So did this happen to you? It did. Okay. Yeah, it's a story. Well, I, did, I didn't know really what All you of our stories are personal stories. A story can be fiction. Maybe I can start telling oh, fictional no, stories. Oh, no, I'm not telling. I've never told a fictional story on this I'm, me neither. podcast. I'm just saying. I was just, just making sure. Hit, come on. Let's well, hear it. I, you, you got me speechless there with this <laughs> hypothetical <laughs> scenario that's never occurred in 100 episodes. Well, we got many more to go. I'm just saying. Maybe in the future I could tell fictional stories here. You might need to. Your life I'm has been so out. short. You're running out of stories. So short and so simple and boring. My life's been so long. <laughs> Come on. What's this, what's this story joke? <laughs> All right. I'm living in Montana, and we had moved there. And, you know, I'm a city boy. I don't know anything about Montana. I don't know anything about hunting. I'd never mm-hmm. hunted a day in my life. But they, uh, for Pastor Appreciation Sunday, my first they bought me a 30 out six wow really and a scope those aren't cheap and a box of shells and said boy you shall hunt <laughs> anyway uh I, we just moved there i'm a rookie but i love the mountains and so i could be from my desk at the church to in the mountains in seven minutes wow and so i would do that Not a like lot. any traffic or anything well plus it's just straight uphill you just serpentine yeah. up the hill and boom there you are and I would go up there and sit in a lawn chair and look at animals. I'd see first, like second day uh, that I went up there, this giant moose walks by. So that Sunday morning, I'm telling the guys, hey, I was up in the mountains and this moose come out there. They said, what'd you do? And I said, I got out there and I started throwing rocks at it. <laughs> and <laughs> did you actually, were you actually doing that? Oh yeah, this, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm in my truck and I see this moose. So I get out of the truck. And this moose walks up the ridge right on the hill, I mean, right on the road, and he's like 25, 20 yards from me. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm like, rah, rah, you know, making noises <laughs> at it. And uh, he looks at me like I'm kind of stupid and he starts walking up the hill. So I start throwing rocks at it. So I'm telling the guys this and they're like, they're looking at me like I am from Mars. <laughs> they said, you know, that thing's way faster than you, right? It could kill you before you could get in the truck. Dang. They said, what were you packing? I said, McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> they said, no, what weapon did you have? I said, well, I didn't. Ha- I don't. Ha- I don't have a weapon. Mm-hmm. They said, man, you gotta at least have like a forty-four or something when you go up there. Don't go up there without a weapon ever again. I'm like, why? They said grizzly bears. I said, well, will a forty-four stop a grizzly bear? They said it's not for the bear. It's for you, so you can shoot yourself in the head while the bear's eating you. <laughs> I'm like, okay, whatever. Jeez. So I'm like, well, uh, they said, well, you need to understand um, how to be aware of grizzlies so you don't accidentally stumble into one yeah i said well help me out they said well you got to be able to sell you know black bears are not dangerous unless you get between one and a cup but the grizzlies are the dangerous ones so you want to be able to understand how to notice where you're at see the signs you know so some things they said first of all you should have pepper spray and you spray it in the face of the bear if it's coming after you. Huh. Uh, the second thing, they said you should put bells on your clothes. That way when you're walking around, it's making noise because you, 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 you're in trouble when you, when you startle a bear. It doesn't right. hear you coming. Right. So have little bells on your clothes and bring pepper spray. Then <clears throat> you should notice uh, it's called sign. We call it poop, but it's, right. it's sign. And you should notice the difference between black bear sign and grizzly sign. I said, what's the difference? They said, well, black bear sign is little round poops, you know. And grizzly sign's got bells in it. (laughs) It smells like pepper spray. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So that was that was what they told me. They had a lot of fun with this city boy who'd never. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. It's funny because growing up for me. You know, my, I have one memory in Texas, and then the rest are starting on the road to Montana, and then in Montana, I have some. So, really, I wasn't conscious before Montana. So, for me, you've always hunted, or you did when I was young. It's been a oh, while. right, now. yeah. Um, so, it's interesting to think of a time before then. Were you nervous when they took you hunting the first time? Well, uh, not really. I was kind of excited. Mm-hmm. Um, the only time I got nervous hunting in that first year was there was this guy named Jason. I hunted on his ranch. And um, Jason would hunt on a run. He would run the entire time. No way. With the safety off and his finger on the trigger. Is he like Jason Bourne or something? What the heck? No, it's actually, well, never mind. I don't want to give that away. But <laughs> he, uh, so I only hunted with him one time because he's, he terrified me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how do guys like that, cause, you know, I, every guy nowadays fantasizes about living out in the Wild West. How do you own a ranch in Montana? Was he a tech guy? Where did he get that no, money? No, no. Did he inherit it? It was fourth generation. Fourth generation. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Well, that's enough of that. That's a very yeah. funny joke. I'm sorry I took your punchline. <laughs> you and, stole it, man. I, I couldn't. Could, I'm just like, what? Did you just do that? Did you just <laughs> steal my thunder? That's it's, crazy. It's like when you're watching a detective show and you and you figure it out and you just can't. The epiphany takes you. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I. But I apologize. I should it is have done okay. That. It is all right. 
episode 100 and I took the, your your thunder on the fourth joke ever spoken. The fourth joke ever spoken, episode 100, and you stole my thunder. Well, let's let's talk about the 12 let's steps. Talk, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so um, I think it'll become obvious with step one why I think everyone should do the 12 steps. Sure, this one's kind of foundational, you'd say? Or? Yeah, and so uh, I, think it's a, I, think it's, I think it's a truth about human beings. Step one is, um, and these I just copied right out of the big blue book, which is the AA book. Mm-hmm. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol. Now, we just call that a blank. Sure. We admitted we were powerless over blank and that our lives had become unmanageable. And uh, are these, I should have asked this first because I'm kind of ignorant on these. this list. Mm-hmm. They're based on the Beatitudes or no? Is that something no, else? That's something else. Celebrate Recovery okay. has eight steps that are, but then they've shifted now to using the classic 12 steps. Okay. But, um, so step one, and this is really, you know, you, you can't solve a problem until you admit you have a problem, right? Right. Here's a joke for you. How many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? Uh, I don't know. Only one, but the light bulb has to really want to change. <laughs> I couldn't take that one from you. I should have told that in the beginning. So uh, the thing about, you know, recovery is you cannot recover if you don't admit you need recovery. Right. Because then what are you, what problem are you solving? If you right. Don't? So one of the hardest parts is for people to confess, to admit, I can't beat this. Now, yeah. here's my question for you, John. Does every human being have a blank? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the blank you is, say that without a flinch. Yeah. You're saying that every human being could say, if they were honest, that um, that my life is powerless over blank, a thing. All of us have something over which we are powerless. Not all of us have something. All of us have the same thing. What? Uh, yeah. So it's so obviously this is in the context of substance abuse. But I'm saying all of us, the key to, to you know, um, acknowledging your right relationship with God is to say, I suck at this and I need to release control over my life. Yeah, but you said we both, we all have the same thing. What the is same, the, what, that what is is the same, same thing? thing? What yeah. is the thing? Broken flesh. I have this. I no, cannot fix no. it. That's, this doesn't work. Say it. Read it one more time. This doesn't work. You're you're mad that I took your joke. That's what this is. (laughs) No, I can tell you why it doesn't work. Read it for me. We admitted we were powerless over blank. Over our flesh. We were powerless over our sinful flesh. That's too vague. See, that's the thing about confession. If somebody says to you, like, they, they stole your girlfriend, drove your car off a cliff, they, and then they say, I'm sorry if I hurt you. There's no power in that apology. Uh, an apology only has power when it confesses the thing that was done to you. And the same is true about your admitting your issue. I'm broke. I'm a mess. No, no, no. What is it? All right. Forgive me. I thought this was a short answer on an exam. This is actually a circle the bubble, and I didn't circle the right bubble. So tell me, teacher, which bubble was I supposed to circle? Well, I'm just saying that it, do, do, does every human being, this is the question, does every human being have a blank over which they are powerless? And you said, yes, of course, their humanity. They're powerless over their fallen humanity. And that would manifest in substance abuse, sex addiction, lying, rage, anger, uh, tremendous fear, anxiety. That's what I'm saying. I want to I get the lens off of 
a dysfunction or a substance. Mm-hmm. So, um, so my question remains. I still want you to think deeply about this question. Is it true that every human being has something, a specific thing, that they are not powerless over, that they are powerless over? Hmm. Is there anyone who does not have a thing over which they are powerless? I don't know what to tell you. I would still, I would give the same answer. The answer is that no one has something they are not powerless over. Okay. I I agree with you, but when you, you know, this is one of those things, you know, we don't sit around and tell each other what we're, what we're powerless over. Right. We don't tell ourselves, but this is why we also have a corresponding lack of freedom. An alcoholic stands in a room with other people and Uh says, I am powerless over alcohol. Right. I cannot defeat it. Now they have recovery groups of all kinds, and they stand in front of those groups and they say, I can't beat this. Jealousy, anger, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't hear people talk this way. I mean, why would they, right? Like you'd have to, I guess. So the example here is in this, um, if you find yourself in AA, right, you've, hit some kind of boundary, some kind of bottom where it's worth it to you to stand in this room and do this. Yes. And one of the, it's helpful to think about the definition of an addiction. One of the, one of the things that makes it an addiction is that it's ruining your life and you still do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think we all have one of those that we don't like what it does to us. We don't like how we feel after we've done it. We don't like how it's affecting our relationships, but we can't stop doing it mm-hmm. i'm asking you does everybody have one of those well well help me out here so i think of i try to think of, of case studies right of well who could i think of where i don't know what their thing would be right so i think of like warren buffett i had no no big sex scandals no big drug abuse scandals he's very productive very successful um what would you know neither of us know the man but what would a guy like his thing be would it just be greed would it be workaholism it could be it could be a million things it could be that he is that he uh, is racked with fears inside when he's in the presence of another person of power and he feels absolutely intimidated but there's no reason he should be hmm. but he feels absolutely intimidated and he can't stop feeling terrified when he's around a certain kind of person sure it could be so it's not that you that you are doing something terrible it's that you can't stop having this experience Right. So for some, it's lust. For some, it is just abject terror. For some, it's standing in front of someone and expressing an opinion. Mm-hmm. There are people who I just can't say it. I can't I can't do it. So then if the question is, does everybody have something that can be that um, that can block you from from functioning as a human like adult to that extent as, as an alcohol addiction or a drug addiction? that can actually um, hinder you to that extent, then the answer is probably no. Because people function in their lives almost all the time. Well, you have functioning alcoholics. And and the fact that, you you know, it's another line I love. I think it's from Cool Hand Luke, which is one of the greatest movies ever. (laughs) What we have here (laughs) is a failure to communicate. (laughs) Just because I'm a live boss don't mean I'm making a living. Hmm. And so uh, I think we're, we're... surrounded by people i saw another meme last week that i really really liked people don't fake depression they fake being okay 
Interesting. So because I'm capable of faking being okay, because I'm capable of navigating my life where maybe very few people actually know that I have this issue. That doesn't mean I don't have, that doesn't mean I'm not powerless over it. Yeah. And so uh, I've come to believe this. This is why I would say everyone should do the 12 steps because if you don't have something you're, you're powerless against, Mm -hmm. then you don't need Jesus. Right. The gospel is only given to powerless people. And I feel a little robbed. This was what I said in the beginning. And you said, absolutely not. So I'm a little turned around. No, here. what you said is it's the same thing for everybody. It's the same root. It's it, the same sickness. It's the same disease. Yeah. Yes. And but so it until, shows up differently. But until you admit that you could not do it on your own with whatever your manifestation of this disease is, mm-hmm. then you don't, like you said, you don't need Jesus. The Pharisee said, um, why are you hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners? And he said, it is the sick who need a physician, not the well. And they weren't well, mm-hmm. but they the don't, Pharisees. but they believe they were. Yeah. I, there's nothing wrong with me. Well, then you don't need Jesus. You don't even qualify for the gospel. Christ did not die on a cross for you. Because you don't think you need him. Exactly. Yeah. So I think one of the p- most powerful things, we're going to have an episode in the future where we talk about the reconciling two opposite things. This is life is saturated with them and Christianity is saturated with them. And one of them is that unless you understand your poverty, you can never find life. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if you think you're strong, you're the weakest of them all. Yeah. And so step one is a step. Every Christian should take every person should take to say, I admit that I am powerless over this and there may be more than one this yeah well and i think so i don't want to get too ahead of the list to be honest i don't have them all memorized so i'm not sure if this would come up later but this uh i had a recent you know we talked a little bit about a transcendent moment when we had john corcoran here as a guest yeah and um i had a recent one of those where i have this this thing it and it's uh, basically getting mad over really dumb things um and like never you know, never any violence or any, never anything against even people I love. It's inanimate objects, mostly more than anything. It's if I'm already impatient or flustered or in a hurry and an inanimate object gives me any amount of grief, I'm ready to break (laughs) stuff. Like I get so angry. Give me an example of that. How can an inanimate object give you grief? It could be as simple. This is, I'm, I'm being vulnerable here. It could be as simple as a piece of paper on a desk and something like I close a door and the paper falls off the desk. I could get so mad. And it's just not doing what I wanted to do. It didn't just not stand put. Really, really dumb. So things like this. This Mm -hmm. isn't the main thing, or it's a big one. It's a big one that I really hate about myself, how impatient I can get in those situations. Yeah. And so, you know, you get in the thought. You think of, that's what my pushback here was, what's what's my thing, my one thing? Yeah. And what I meant to push back past that is it's not the one thing. Right. If I was suddenly snap my fingers, miracle- I never get mad at, at an inanimate object ever again. Right. I'm never flustered ever again. I would still be, without Jesus, completely worthless. I, I would be. I would be dead. And and in this regard, you are correct. We have lots of a variety of symptoms, but they are all symptoms of one disease. Right. 
And that was my transcendent moment was, and it's that thing we talked about with, with those moments, you can learn, you can hear this a hundred times, the same truth. And it never sinks in, but the one time. Right. And it just, the impact that, um, God's not disappointed with that. And I don't qualify or not qualify because of that. It is so much deeper than that. Which many people think, if I could just solve this one problem, God would be happy exactly. with That's exactly right. Yeah, because they think, well, I can't, you know, this is why I can't even be a Christian, because I can't fix this. Yeah. And if I could fix that, then God would be happy with me. No, no, no. God's happy with you knowing you can't fix that, mm-hmm. uh, because he covers your brokenness. But there must be a confession, I am powerless and it's and the first step finishes and my life has become unmanageable Mm -hmm. meaning i cannot even manage this now i'm going to be vulnerable for me this is food Mm. i can i'm powerless over food i have seasons of success but it's going to be a lifelong battle for me food is a is a love of mine some people eat to live i live to eat (laughs) i want every meal to be something special I, 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 and it satisfies every circumstance of my life. If I'm angry, Ooh, I should eat. If I'm happy, I should eat. If we're celebrating, I should eat. If we're grieving, I should eat, (laughs) you know, it's, it's perfect for every occasion. Yeah. And my life is becoming unmanageable. As I get older, I've got to get my body under control. Sure. There's going to be no way to do that without this food thing. And so I say to God, I am powerless over food and my life is unmanageable. Yeah. Okay. I think it is people can, we we need to move on, but people can keep processing that this aha thing is that while you focus on one symptom, sure as the world, you fix that one, there's going to be another one. Yeah. And it probably, you know, it's like tip of the iceberg kind of thing. Yes. Beneath that. And the root of that is not something you can just knock out. It's deep. Yeah. It's really deep. (laughs) All right. Number two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Mm-hmm. Okay, because what happens is, as you give in to these things, it's insanity. Your life doesn't get better. As I give my body the food that it's craving, my life doesn't get better, it gets worse. Mm-hmm. And so it's insanity. Um, coping the way we cope or giving in to these things, it ruins us. And so we came to believe that there's a higher power. There is a God who can restore us to sanity. Yeah. And I wonder, because this program is obviously um, uh, created from, by someone who, who is a Christ follower, but it, it's available to secular people as well or, or non-believers. It was written by a Methodist minister mm-hmm. who was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And it's all scripture. Although he tried to make it where people who did not have religious belief would not be boxed out of finding God. Yeah, so I wonder what their higher power is here. Is it community? Um, no, it could. The, the idea is that it's not a person and it's not a group of people. It is a supreme being. It is a, a higher power of some kind. Now, people give AA a hard time because they say, well, your higher power could be a tree. Mm, sure. And that's just because they're giving you the freedom to find this higher power. In Celebrate Recovery and certainly in faith-based, um, clear Christian 12 steps. It's a little more specific. It's than that. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. There's a God. And, a, and so um, we don't need to go further in this because our sure, podcast I was, is for people who, who get that. I was just curious. Yeah. 
Step number three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. Yeah. And a lot of this, I think, are kind of beginning context around number one is really a through line through at least these first couple. Absolutely. This is the journey to salvation. Mm -hmm. This is, holy cow, I'm powerless over my sin and my sinful nature and my flesh and myself. I know there's a God who can restore me and can save me and bring me back to sanity. And so I'm going to, I'm going to surrender my will. Now this is a big step, even though it sounds like just faith, we made a decision to turn over our will. Okay. That means I'm going to give my will to God. This is the only way I'm going to be free. Mm -hmm. I got to give my will to God as I understand him and follow him. Well, and one, and I don't mean to get us in the weeds too much on every single one, but this reminds me that, um, that action, right? That dedication, um, I wish it was a one and done thing, but it's really every day. It brings me to Romans, uh, I believe Romans eight, the, the mind of the, the mind set on the things right. of the flesh cannot please God. It does not want to, and it can't, even if it did want to. Right. So that's the, um, that's not a, ah, just, I just keep messing up. It's no, you are incapable in this state of being. You yeah. are incapable of pleasing God. And so the mindset on the spirit and, you know, that's surprisingly hands on in Romans there. The mindset on the yeah. spirit does these things and can please God. So that, that's a, that's a daily yeah. thing. And, uh, it's, yeah, I think that, I think that is the how of that why or that what. Yeah. I love, I'm with you. Romans eight is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for what the law was powerless to do. Christ did the law was powerless to do weakened as it was through the flesh, through sin, through the sinful nature. God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful nature to be a sin offering. Then this spirit is given to us and life in the spirit the, uh, has set me free. The law of the spirit of life yeah. has set me free from the law of sin and death. So my mind set on the spirit walks with God. I surrender my will to God as I keep my mind on the spirit. And that was, that was the, the power of the, um, you know, and again, I've heard, I had heard this a thousand times, but don't invite God to help you do your life better and just keep fighting your old fight with God. It's like, no, that's the, that's the death to the self. That's the, just let go of that. And you know, anyway, and these are big ahas, that particular thing. Yeah. Really. It's the light has to come on for you. Right. And we can't really give that to anybody. Yeah. But okay. Step four. And this mm-hmm. is, this is the, this is the step four and five are where people fall off the trail. Okay. They're the hardest two steps so far. It's hard. It's hard to say my life is powers. People have said to me, uh, religion's a crutch to which I say not bad for a cripple. <laughs> That's a great answer. Is right. That, is that a gym original? It is. That's some. Um, if an author wrote that, he'd be pumping his fist. <laughs> That's good stuff. Well, if you, your pride doesn't want you to admit you're a cripple. Yeah. Your pride does not want you to do that. So you must. You must. And then you must realize, but there is a God who can do this for me. Mm-hmm. And then I must turn over my will to him. And then step four is we made a searching and fearless moral inventory. Mm. Now, this is where you get out a piece of paper, probably a whole ream of paper, and you write out this fearless, honest inventory of the things you have done and the traps you have fallen into 
and the people you have hurt and the damage you have done. Man. It's I could see why this would be the a wall for a lot of people. It's brutally hard. Many people spend weeks on step four. Yeah. And what is, you know, it's, it's tough because we don't want to be ignorant of our own sin, obviously. But what is, like with Paul's thing about, I don't even judge myself. Like that, that whole mentality of kind of, if God's thrown my sin into the depths of the sea, then, yeah. you know, biblically, what does that accomplish? Well, I say that Paul's able to do that after he did step four. Hmm. As he confessed to God that he, and he says in there, I used to drag people out. You know, God showed his grace to me, who was the chief of all sinners. Christ came to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Yeah. So there was an, a re, there was a continual reality, uh, recognition of that. But you can't taste the freedom in Christ until you've confessed your sin because you will wonder if he's forgiven you because you've never told him. Mm-hmm. It's a detailed, specific confession. That's the kind that can set you free. Sure. So this is a ruthless moral inventory. It's, it's, it's an incredible thing. And what happens is as you're working on that, more things keep coming to your mind and you remember this and you remember that. Oh my gosh, I remember that. It's stressing me out, man, just talking about it. Well, um, now what weaker people do, they skip step five. They take that list and they say, now I'm going to confess this to God. And so they just they just read oh, it to God. Then they either dig a hole in the ground and bury that thing. Or they burn it. Or they or... burn it so that it's gone. And uh, that's interesting. Little anecdote in Underland, which I brought up as my book a little bit ago. Uh, he's going out. Do his friends know he's going to go on this search through all these tunnels throughout the world? And one of his friends gives him this is a list that he wrote of all of his mistakes and sins and faults. Then he entombed it in bronze and then did it again. So it's a double bronze <laughs> ensconced piece of sin. And he had him take it, and he said, "Throw it in the deepest cave that you go into on your on your journeys." Wow, it's crazy. That's I, awesome. What a physical manifestation of yeah. it is, is bizarre. But anyway, okay. Step five, John. We admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Okay. Now this is where you get to the detailed confession. You made a right. detailed list. And now you read that list. This is most the people, whole thing. Most people complete step five by just reading the whole list. I'm going to read to you my my entire moral inventory. The whole thing. The whole thing. I'm going to read it to God, and I'm going to read it to myself. I'm going to admit it. This is me, and I'm going to tell it to one other person. This is when those Catholic partitions make a lot more sense. This is when I'd want <laughs> about five of those. Yes. Holy um, smokes. Now, that's why it's so hard. Mm-hmm. That's also why it's so powerful. When you tell a human being the exact nature of your wrongs and they don't run from you, curse you, uh, damn you, Mm -hmm. they forgive you. It is unspeakably powerful. Now, I told you today you should watch the movie The Mission. Right. And there's a scene in that movie that depicts this beautifully. And, I mean... You know, we know that only God's love is perfect love, right? All human love, without the spirit at least, is is at some point conditional. It, it is conditional. Every relationship we have in this world except for with God is a conditional relationship. So it's how performance-based. How do you find 
that person who will hear that list well, without it being anonymous. You find a person who's not on the list. <laughs> okay. So it is anonymous almost or someone who you're less attached to or what? Well, that they don't have, they have not been damaged by your list. I see what you're saying. So they can serve almost like a priest. This is where the Catholic priest comes in. This is where a professional counselor comes in. They make, uh, but the best person, this is what AA does. You make that confession to someone who's also in recovery. I gotcha. So now so there's they, an understanding there. They already know. Yeah, me too, bro. Yeah. And so we're talking about this applying to literally everybody. Would you recommend four and five to every, every, every Christ follower? person? I think that it would liberate us from depression, fear, shame. Hmm. Shame is such a crippler in people's lives. Oh, yeah. And this is a shame buster. And the reason you have to be careful who you tell it to, because it can't be a Pharisee. Sure. It can't be an elder brother, like from the parable of the prodigal son. Sure. It needs to be a fellow prodigal. Someone, and that's that's the whole human race. But the problem is they don't all know it. Exactly. Back to that. Back it, to the yes. heel, the the sick in the well. Kind yes, of thing. it has to be. If you if for it to for it to be done well, I would not read my list to anybody who's not very acquainted with their own depravity. Are those hard to find? I'm trying to think. I'm try, I'm doing a, my own thinking through how I would do this, and I don't know. There's no. There's not anyone immediately at the top. No, this is, this is why it's so hard. Yeah. Because you will find a, yeah, but for anyone you put on that list. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and part of that is your self-preservation nature. Oh yeah. You're going to find a reason not to do this with everyone on your list. And so, uh, it just comes to this and this is, this is why it's so powerful. You have to come to the place where. I want to be free from this stuff more than I want you to like me. Yeah. So I'm going to read you my list. You ask someone if they would be willing to, to do this. And then you risk, I, you know, you may hate me for the rest of my life, but I got to be free. That's crazy. I, I, at first I was like, I don't know why they would stop on this one. And then after really, really <laughs> thinking about doing it myself. Yeah, I get it. That's that's crazy. Yeah. You want to do six or a commercial break first? Let's do six. Then we'll do our commercial break. Okay. You got it. We entire, we, uh, we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. That's why six is it a good one for us to stop on. Um, I'm in, I'm, I'm not just going to confess it. I'm entirely ready for Christ to deal with this mm-hmm. and to remove this from my life. That's hard because it's hard to make yourself want things. Mm-hmm. It's easy to cognitively go, yeah, but it's hard to be, to make yourself ready for that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you get to that point on, on command? The thing about the 12 steps is you work them your whole life. Mm. So you, like no, none of. of these are one and done. Sure. Um, because as soon as I go through my list with you, Tomorrow happens <laughs> and get that guy on speed dial. Yep. And after I go through this 12 steps with you or step five with you, and I have this, this incredible freedom, I wake up two days later and I feel guilty all over again. Hmm. I've got to keep working the steps, the 12 steps for people who are truly in recovery. They're a way of life. Yeah. 
All right. So we're going to do our uh, commercial break after your book report. Yes, sir. Uh, I have read many novels. Basically, if I'm reading electively, if I have not been assigned something to read for the first, you know, 23 years of my life. Recently, I've been reading more. um, You could call it steak and potatoes kind of things. But uh, it's been a novel before that. And still, I still love reading novels. It's not like I think they're bad inherently. But anyway, so when I say this is probably the best novel I've ever read, I really do mean That's a stack of books. That's It's big. That's not just a big statement. You're saying, I've read lots of novels. So for me to say this is the best one, that book is True Grit by Charles Portis. Oh. It is brisk. I don't remember the page number off the top of my head, and I don't have my copy with me because I lent it out. Uh, but it is a it is a really really lean, phenomenal book. It's a western. If you haven't heard of it, it's it takes place in the eighteen eighties, I think, in Arkansas, Arkansas territory at that time. And uh, or the it's I'll give you the premise that you would see on like the back of the book. It's a little girl, her uh, dad is killed by a hired hand that he got uh, for his ranch, a drunk man named uh, um, Tom Tom Cheney. Tom Cheney. Tom Cheney. And uh, and so he flees off into the the Cherokee Nation, and she recruits a uh, U.S. marshal, a to, man of true grit, a man of true grit, to help her go. And and he eventually uh, a third guy kind of weasels away along, and the three of them go in on hunt of this man Tom Cheney, and it is amazing. And there's a movie. Which, well, there's two of them actually. There's there an is, older but, one with Glenn Campbell and John Wayne and John Wayne. And then there's the most modern one, and that is who? That's uh, Jeff Bridges and Matt Damon. Jeff Bridges. Yeah. <laughs> and Matt Damon. And, and Matt it Damon. is insanely good. And the reason I love that movie is the dialogue. And well, the dialogue comes right out of the book. Exactly from the books. That's a Coen Brothers movie. And like they did with No Country for Old Men, it's like they took that book like a screenplay and just did the best they could. And so that's why that I love that movie so much. All those best lines. I saw the movie first. I would recommend reading the book first, but honestly do whatever you want. Uh, reading the book after seeing that movie. Oh my goodness. And some scenes that they kind of breeze through in the movie. They really do in the book. One of my favorite scenes ever. It's not even that far in the book. If you, if you get this book and you want to get to the scene, just, you know, it's in the first third of the book. Uh, it's amazing. Rooster Cogburn is the true grit marshal. He's amazing. Um, cannot recommend enough. There's no clock on my business woman. <laughs> I think that one was for the movie actually. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, it's great. And it's not, I've, I had this conversation with you talking about a perfect movie, right? I think like Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark is a perfect movie, mm. but it doesn't really say much to you. What does it, what does it really teach you about life? Nothing. Exactly. So uh, there are flawed movies that really, really can teach you something. This is kind of more in the Indiana Jones category. I don't learn a lot from True Grit, but as an adventure and as just a phenomenal piece of storytelling, it's really good. It is. I think I do learn. At least I haven't read the book. I've just seen the movie. Well, then you get the idea. And I learned the power of a committed person. Like his commitment to that little girl, man. His it's inspiring. It's yeah. very inspiring. Her commitment to get her dad's killer. Um, and when I say it doesn't teach anything, it does not mean it didn't impact me. Obviously, right, it impacted right. me. And it's very emotional. It's just a, it's, it's cathartic. Um, it's fun. It's a heck of a book. And who man. wrote it? 
Charles Portis. For some Charles. reason, I always th- call him Charlie in my head. Charlie Portis. That's not what it says on the book. It says Charles. Uh, big, easy, easy two thumbs up. All right. There one. you have it. Hey, here's our commercial break. We'll be right back. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining him on his mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right. Welcome back. Uh, thank you so much. Episode 100, man. That's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. I'm John. I've enjoyed the journey with you. Thank you. It's been great. And thank you so much for listening. If you're still around after all this time, or if you came along, <laughs> all of it. If you're a newbie. Before. Yeah. We like newbies. We've heard of people coming in and then going back to catch up. And don't worry about it. Seriously. Just, just, uh, just come along. It's quite a catalog of episodes. You can look through that on our website and you can see, uh, or on a podcast provider, mm-hmm. and you can see the titles. And some people like going back. We're pretty embarrassed by those early, early, early episodes. We really are. We think we got better at it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, we're just glad you're here. Yeah. All right. Step seven. Humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Mm-hmm. So this is where uh, step six and seven to me feel like the same step. Sure. But step six, step, step six, we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. So six is the willingness. Six is, God, I'm ready. Help me. Cleanse me. Change me. Get the, get help, Get help. rid of this. Yeah. Number seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Okay? Mm-hmm. I don't think we need to camp out there. Step eight, this is another brutal one, made a list of all persons we have harmed and became willing to make amends to them all unless to do so would cause further harm. cause further harm. Yeah. Okay. So this is where and this again is powerful because you're making a list of people you have hurt and you're going to at least confess that to God and pray for those people. And you're willing to make amends if to do so doesn't cause further harm. Yeah. And that one, you know, because again, the the addict is maybe these examples are more traumatic, maybe. So that one's easier to think. Well, maybe someone they stole money from, or or um, I I took your car and wrecked it. Yeah, traumatized while they were inebriated. Mm-hmm. Name an example for me of someone who has a less um, explicit um, experience with this. I took credit for your project at work, mm. and I got the promotion, and you didn't. There you go. Um, so lots of, yeah, maybe a lot of lies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I cast dispersions on your character and cause people to think poorly of you. Hmm. All right. There can be tons. That's yeah. the thing. When you start making the list, you go, oh man, I have been an ass. Yeah. Number nine, uh, made direct, amen- direct amends 
to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would harm them or others. So number eight is make the list and be willing to make amends. Number nine is to actually go follow through. That's when you're actually doing your working step nine. I'm making amends. Step 10, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. So now I've made this big confession in step four, but now I'm making this my lifestyle, that Mm -hmm. I will continue to take personal inventory, and when I'm wrong, will promptly admit it. Hmm. And so you said you... You go through the list as your life goes on. Is this simply just the continuation of making that list? Just keep going with it. Yeah, you you would throw that first list away. But um, this is this is about really um, awareness, about um, mindfulness. Mm-hmm. I recognize when I was wrong, and I would say, "Man, forgive me." Um, I was in a meeting of ministers uh, within, within the last thirty days. And we had a worship time together. There's probably, I'm going to guess there's 40 guys in there, Mm -hmm. guys and gals. And during our worship time, there was a moment when somebody said, I think somebody in the room has a word for us. And then nobody gave it. Mm -hmm. And about 30 minutes later, a young man came forward and said, I want to ask you to forgive me because I was the one who had a word to share. And I was so intimidated by this group that I wouldn't give it. And so I want to apologize to you and I want to offer it to you now. Wow. So that's that quick awareness. I'm being a coward. Um, I just failed somebody. I just failed God and being willing to admit it right away. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's about humility. That's about continual self-awareness and re- and recognizing that as much as God is having his way in my life and as much as improved as my life is, this is not going to stop happening. Well, and it's recognition that, um, you know, the like the the earlier item on the list was ask God to remove these um, shortcomings from you. But it's not a for almost everybody. It's not a miraculous change of of mind to that extent where this really is ongoing work to do this. Yeah. And what I've found is I'm 59. I'm playing whack-a-mole. You're right. <laughs> as soon as I get one beat down, something else pops up that I wasn't even aware of. That's probably already been there. But now you can see it a little clearer. Now I can see it because I'm not distracted by this other one. So there's always going to be that. All right. Uh, number 11. We got two to go. Step 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying only for the knowledge of his will and the power to carry that out. Hmm. That's a pretty amazing thing to to uh, to seek through prayer and meditation the to improve our conscious contact with God. I love that. That's that, cool. That That's I want to consciously connect with God, and that I'm going to do that through prayer and meditation, praying for only two things. This is a staggering thing to me. I'm only going to pray, God, tell me Your will. And then give me the courage to carry that out. Mm-hmm. That's pretty spectacular. And could this be boiled down as simple as your altar and stewardship kind of yes. uh, model? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Where um, when I think of altar, I think of communion with God, consecration to God, and then um, commissioning from God. What do you want me to go do? 
Sure. Then I live my life that day living out all three of those communion with him, uh, commissioning from him. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics or blanks (laughs) and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. So this is, um, proselytizing or what, how do you say this Not one proselytizing? Thing? This is, uh, I love this and this is, I don't know who's the originator of this. Uh, this is one beggar telling another beggar where to go find some bread. <laughs> That's good. Um, that I, you know, key to our recovery, all addicts know this key to my recovery is to help another person in their recovery. Mm-hmm. This is critical. And if I do the 11 steps and don't do this, it sabotages me. It keeps me in the game. It keeps me in contact because when I'm not suffering, the person I'm with is, and it keeps me connected to the humanity, to the suffering, to the, to the, to the complexities of my sinful nature. It keeps you focused. It keeps you focused. It's so powerful. And, um, you know, the, another, there's a bunch of metaphors for this, that your life is not a reservoir. It's a river. That God, when God pours into you, He's not trying to fill you up; He's trying to fill through you to others. Mm-hmm. And so, um, stagnant water supplies—you know—they be, they become toxic and diseased. There must be a current. There must be a flow through. And this is pivotal to our lives. Um, not that I have to be an evangelist. I don't have to go street witness on the corners. I don't have sure. to do these weird things. This is the principle of the oikos is so powerful. God's bringing these people right into your traffic pattern who need to connect with you because you're going to help them connect to themselves and to God. Yeah. So big, big deal. Yeah. That, that's, um, I feel like it goes, the list gets progressively more and more proactive into action. And the ending is definitely the most of that mm. is, is, um, all right, you, you focus on yourself. Um, and, and part of it, you know, you you talk about the uh, um, the power of of self forgetfulness or or mm-hmm. being the freedom of self forgetfulness free, yeah yep. yeah yeah and how um, all of this turmoil about yourself uh, even when you are trying to fix yourself it's still inward and a lot of the we talked a lot about how um, kind of a fake humility can be mm-hmm. pridefulness in disguise kind of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're just obsessed with yourself still. Well, and so this yeah. is the this is finally the turning that energy outwards. Exactly. This is what uh, one of my God has given me so many uh, men and women who've been invaluable mentors and coaches to me. Mm-hmm. One of them is Ron Keast, and he would say it this way: Sometimes it needs to be all about you, so that then it can stop being about you at all. Right. And we, some of us forget that part. Yeah. <laughs> we want it to always be about us. Yeah, for sure. But you, sometimes you need to stop, park the car, and make it all about you so you can get through this. Then you can move on and make it where it's not about you at all. That's great. All right, John. Uh, question. Are you sold that every human being should practice the 12 steps? I am. I think it's... I've, <laughs> I still have this weird thing forever ago. We talked about, um, you know, earthly wisdom versus divine wisdom and this kind of thing. You know, can you really, I have a weird sense of incongruency with, um, so like, like if I was to give this list to a, to a non-believer, right? I don't know. 
what it would do for them because they don't, because to get to step one, you know, to acknowledge your own depravity relies on the sheer glory and love of God to show you how broken you are. Do you think so? I think so. Do you think there are people who do not realize they're broken? I think, I think I would, I don't like, um, hyperbole. Mm -hmm. I would say everyone's got a hunch. But, you know, but no, I think you can't know it accurately until you know God. Well, what's cool about the 12 steps is it gets you to the awareness of God very quickly. Step two. Yeah. So um, if they considered step one, they had no God connection at all. And they considered step one and they decided, yes, there is a blank for me. I'm powerless over that. Yeah. And I can't manage it. And that gets them on this kind of mindset of who um, could help me. Right. Who could help me? Yeah, I get is, that. Is there, in fact, a God who could help me? Now they're considering the reality of God as they understand him. So this is the the freedom of, I'm not talking about the God of the Bible necessarily, the God of, of, of Buddha or the God of Islam. Can you believe there's a God who can help you? And then from that path, it can go on. It to, can go on, yeah. Towards, yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Do you have a big takeaway for this one? Well, that was my second question for you. What's your takeaway from the 12 steps? I'm a huge fan. I've been a huge fan forever. Not forever. I've been a huge fan for a couple of decades. I, I To me, they are the gospel and they are sanctification, this process of becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Yeah. These steps do this. If they, they, they move you in your conscious contact with God, if you work them. Yeah. I think, you know, I love, um, when we were learning about, you know, some, some marketing and stuff for, for this, they call them levers. You go through and you pull all your levers for the day. And I love this list is kind of, it's levers. Mm -hmm. It's nice to have something like this, an action plan that someone can hand to you. It's like, you know, with, with food, you just wish someone could hand you a list of what to eat every single day. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of like that. It's like, um, there's a lot of power in that. Um, you know, and I just had a, a, an aha moment. Sure. Even if you slant the list exclusively to a category, mm-hmm. my life, um, that I'm powerless over food. Let's just follow this trail. Sure. And, uh, my life's unmanageable. I believe there's a God who can help me. Mm-hmm. Right. And I seek that God to connect with that God. And I make a list of all the ways food, just keep it to that list. All the stupid things I have done in the name of food, for food, having cash I don't have to account for so they so that Sue doesn't see that I went through a drive through again. <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, whatever. Make the list. And the food list. Yeah. And then just keep working the steps just with that one topic. I think there could be a lot of power there. Yeah. Where instead, like, instead of the, like I started in the beginning, instead of going straight to just kind of vague yeah. Fallen humanity. You actually do pick your 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 um, thing. advice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So do, do you have a takeaway? Yeah, it's um, it's more towards this kind of epiphany I've had that that's really the first half of this list was just nailing those yeah those nails on the head. And um, for me, it is the um, in a practical sense what what I was doing and probably still am because you know I didn't just I didn't have the Damascus Road experience right, necessarily right. right. Um, but it's um, the pride is still there when you think you just have the one thing mm-hmm. when you just mm-hmm. have the one thing 
you still can't make a fool of yourself. You still can't be that vulnerable mm-hmm. because you're still a hot shot. Yeah. Without that one thing, you're doing pretty good. Yeah. And it just so why should I go embarrass myself to somebody and tell them this one thing? Exactly. When it's just one thing. Exactly. And it stops even really, really simple things. Uh, I was prompted once. I was in a drive through mm-hmm. prompted once to talk to the, the worker at the, at the window mm-hmm. about Jesus, if they knew Jesus. And I could not do it. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's a minor thing. I still remember it. It was a decent amount of time ago. Yeah. And because you're holding on to that thing, I don't want to look like an idiot. I'm pretty cool. Right. I can't look like an idiot. Right. And it's in a practical sense, you can, that, that kind of double check, it was the second time you have the list, right? Mm-hmm. Or that, that second time that you continuously do inventory. Yeah. You think, um, well, if I was truly dead to myself, yeah. if, if the identity of John Ladd was completely as invisible as I could make it, what would this look like? And really the answer is you could be, you could do anything. You could look like as big a fool as God wanted you to because mm-hmm. you're not, you're, you're dead. Yeah. It's really, I, I, I'm trying to say it as many different ways as I can. Um, but that was, that's my big takeaway for really this whole season I'm in. And this conversation to me is that same yeah. kind of thing. That's that same awesome. power at least. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, listen, we hope this has been helpful to you. By the way, there are lots of varieties of studies that are Christian uh, resources that weave the 12 steps through um, some processes that might help you. Mm. Um, uh, also, I'm going to give a little plug here. Um, there's a gal in our church that I'm really proud of. Her name is Dawn Williams, and she has written daily devotionals that go through the 12 steps. Oh, awesome. And you can find those on Amazon. I don't know the names of them. I can't remember, but they're really well done. And you can find it at, at Amazon. Dawn Williams is her name. Sure. Um, great um, using the 12 steps and the scriptures to stay in this process of working the steps in your spiritual life. Great stuff. There's lots of resources out there. Uh, I hope you'll give it a try. I hope you'll be courageous yeah. and, uh, and tr- give it a shot. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Hey, thanks for listening. Episode 100. We're so glad you're here. You can check us out at jimandjohn.com, no H in the John, Instagram, um, what else? Uh, Instagram and the websites are the big ones. Uh, we would love for you to contact us. You can do that on Instagram, either in the comments of our weekly post uh, or DMs um, or contact form on the website or email. And there's a link tree in our bio on Instagram where you can get to everything right from there. Yeah, so if you're on, if you're on the app, you can read our blogs from there. Um, yeah. And yeah. we would, again, we'd love to hear from you. Awesome. And yeah, thank you guys. We'll see you next week for episode 101.